connect our teaching to the times we live in today? I'm Brett from Heinemann. In his new book, Elevating Equity and Justice, education policy expert and former civil rights lawyer Robert Kim takes us on a deep dive into 10 cases of great historical impact, providing background and information on each, as well as an explanation as to why it's important to know them. Bob's writing brings these court cases to life without overwhelming us with legalese and do's and don'ts. Bob and I recently sat down to talk about why this book is so important for teachers and what in his background led him to write it. I've always thought about concepts of fairness and equity and justice through the lens of public schools. And I think the origin of this book for me was thinking back to my own experience in public schools. I I grew up in the 70s and 80s as a Gen X kid, and I was one of those typical latchkey kids, which for people that don't know that term, is a, a, a student who or a kid who comes home and typically because their parents are working really hard, there was nobody home or very little presence of, of folks at home. So as a result, I was at school all the time. I grew up in a suburban school in New Jersey. And so my whole life was sort of in public schools growing up. And I think that led me to both sort of look at concepts of fairness and equity through my experiences in public schools. And I had both amazing experiences where I was incredibly privileged because I lived, I happened to live in a a neighborhood and community that was relatively well to do in New Jersey. So there were so many wonderful experiences that I had where I could do basically any activity that the school had to offer, you know, ranging from music and sports to literary clubs and you name it. And at the same time, where I had all of that privilege and sort of the benefits of a wonderful public school education, there were also some ways that in which school was not fair or just for me as a Asian American kid growing up in a small town in New Jersey, which was at the time in the 70s, it was literally almost 100% white. That was hard for me. And so there were moments where, uh, you know, I was bullied and harassed in school. And there were also times when I felt misunderstood or, or mis, uh, diagnosed in a way, uh, educationally by uh, some of my teachers at school because I was this child of Asian, you know, South Korean immigrants. The feelings of equity, I think, and justice came to me uh, at a very early age through public schools. Fast forward many years, uh, I decided to become a lawyer, ended up working at the American Civil Liberties Union in California. There, I started to uh, work on cases involving civil rights and civil liberties in schools. Um, So I worked on cases involving harassment of LGBT kids in schools. One of the first cases uh, I worked on was uh, one of the first cases in the country, actually, to establish that under Title IX, schools could be liable for harassment by one person against another person at the student level uh, in a school, and that schools could be liable for failing to do anything about that. You know, and I also worked on free speech cases involving both teachers and students. I worked on due process cases where kids were being kicked out of school unfairly or unjustly and privacy cases. I remember 
you know, in California, going to the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas uh, because we had heard that uh, a school was trying to dis, uh, find out about student drug activity by bringing these uh, drug-sniffing canines, these drug-sniffing dogs, and lining up the students and their belongings and having the sort of a drive-by with, with uh, drug-sniffing dogs. And so there were some feelings that that was not right, that that was a violation of privacy. So those experiences, you know, both childhood and prof- early professional, I would say, kind of started to lead me to think about how much equity and justice, how, how schools are such a perfect place to talk about all of these concepts. So I think that was, you know, those are some experiences that I've had that led me to want to write about this topic. Through your experience and through your writing, you've really highlighted with this book things that I think we sort of assumed were naturally rights or were things that were in existence in terms of of the law that really weren't so until very recent years ago. How how are these cases still so relevant for 2019 and and as we look ahead to 2020? Oh, gosh, there's so many things. Uh, I mean, I think every case, first of all, the the book that I that I wrote has just 10 cases. I I will say there's so many that we could have chosen from, but the 10 that I chose, each one of these cases comes from the U.S. Supreme Court and has such a direct connection to kind of what's going on today with, with the issues that were involved in these cases. Like, And so, for example, one of the first cases I talk about is a Title IX case involving a girl who was uh, harassed by a male student. Her name was LaShonda Davis. What happened was the school, she alleged, was not doing enough to respond to some pretty sensational facts around, you know, the sexual bullying and harassment that she was experiencing at the hands of a male student. And the court decided that the school's response, inadequate response to what happened to LaShonda was a Title IX violation. And, you know, you fast forward today and you think about the Me Too movement, um, you think about epidemic of sexual assault, sexual violence, and sexual harassment that's that's going on, not only uh, in colleges, which I think many of us have started to hear about, but, but really at the K-12 level as well. And we don't hear as much about that in the news. You know, when I worked uh, in the Obama administration at the U.S. Department of Education, we had hundreds, if not thousands of cases around the country that we were looking at involving K-12 sexual harassment. Uh, as early as uh, middle school, and I would say probably some of them were even before middle school. It is something that is very, very prevalent as as educators around the country know in the elementary, middle, and, and high schools as well. And so that one case, that one chapter that I in which I talk about this case involving Lashonda Davis has a direct parallel to school environments today. You mentioned this. There's only 10 cases in the book, and they seem to me, as I read, like recent history, only a few years old. Some of these, the case you just referenced is only from 1999. Why these 10? What is it about these 10 that that we should be focused on? Yeah, well, I was going back to think about recently why I had chosen these 10. And I, and I think, <laughs> you know, you, there are so many lawyers know this very well, uh, and, I, and I should say, for your listeners that I'm a lawyer, I'm not an educator, although I've worked with many, many educators over the years. Lawyers know that in terms of cases that affect teachers, there are thousands out there that affect teachers, whether whether 
teachers or school administrators are aware of it or not, there are literally thousands of cases out there. So it's impossible to really pick just 10. <laughs> so that was the initial problem, I think, with, uh, with trying to, to limit a book. But I think these 10 cases are a good bunch uh, because, number one, they come from the U.S. Supreme Court. So they affect every public school teacher, at least, in the country. Number two, these cases have legs. They have, they have staying power. They're not likely to be overturned in the near future. Um, and well, maybe we could talk about that with respect to one or two of them, but they really are important cases that are not kind of fly by night. And number three, I think they cover the gamut, both in terms of the Constitution and, and a lot of the legal issues, whether it's the First Amendment or privacy under the Fourth Amendment or fairness and equal protection uh, and due process under the 14th Amendment. So they cover the gamut of, of legal issues, uh, I think, uh, for teachers and schools. And then finally, I will just say that I tried to pick cases that would cover a diverse range of students that we educate in, in our schools. So that includes students of color. It includes immigrants and undocumented students. There's cases that we talk about English learner students or emergent bilingual students. There's a case where we talk about students with disabilities. There's a case where we talk about students of uh, various religious backgrounds. And there's a case that, that talks about the plight of, of low-income students and, stu and schools with, with many, many poor students. Really, even though there's only 10 cases, I think we cover a lot of ground, both legally and in terms of the range of kids that, that walk through our school doors every day. And I want to point out that you do cover a lot of ground, but beautifully. I mean, the pages, the layout, and the design of this book, it is incredibly accessible. You know, initially, some people might think legal cases, this might be some legal language in here. And you have written this in a way that has made it so accessible. Every case makes sense. You've written it in a very understandable ways for anybody without a law degree to, to access it. Can you just sort of walk us through a little bit of how you have each case broken down and sort of the different things you're doing within each case to, to help us understand them better? Sure. I mean, well, one of the challenges writing this book, and I think uh, teachers will appreciate this, you know, the last thing you want is a very long and dry legal tome on, you know, the pronouncements of the U.S. Supreme Court. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, we, we have enough in-service trainings where the, the legal spiel comes out and you have the mandatory, you know, Title IX training. It's easy for this stuff to not come alive. What I wanted to do and what I hope that I've done is to really make these cases accessible, giving you only what you need to know about the facts or even or just pulling out the most interesting parts about these cases and no more. And also introducing the real people in these cases. You know, I don't I don't want legal cases to be divorced from all of the actors within the cases. Um, so you want to know what's going on with a student who was banned from school uh, for being an undocumented immigrant, for example, Alfredo Lopez in one of the cases. You want to know about the parents in these cases, uh, the parents of the students, uh, who, who in many cases are real heroes. They are the ones who were courageous enough to talk with their children and say, should we fight this? Should we fight what's going on, the injustice that we're experiencing? And you also want to know about the advocates, the, the, the lawyers or the, uh, the people who, who went to bat for the students and the parents. Each chapter has not only a brief sort of summary of the case with the important facts and what the Supreme Court said in the case and some of the concepts 
in the case that that might be important for teachers to know. Um, but they also have sections on and, and vignettes on either a student or uh, an advocate or a parent and what the case meant for that person and how they reflect on that today, uh, of what happened to them today. And then the chapters also go into some more real resources for teachers about, okay, here's a case about uh, school searches, or here's a case about educating students with disabilities. How can we be more proactive about those issues in our classrooms or at school? And so there's a section about getting proactive about that and uh, some resources that teachers can look at if they want to uh, find out more about the topic. And most important, I think there's a section in each chapter that includes actual educator voices where teachers are sharing what the case means to them and what they've done in the classroom to address issues of inequity involving, you name it, whether it's undocumented students, whether it's students' free speech rights or English learner rights or due process in disciplining students. The teacher voices, I think, in these chapters provides such an important bridge between the law and actual practice and pedagogy in the classroom. With these cases, when we're looking at the recent developments, are is there movement still in some of these cases, certainly the Lopez cases from the 80s? Are there things that we need to be sort of aware of and keeping an eye on with these cases? Are they still in movement? Terribly in movement. Um, every single case, they have. there's something going on with them today that is terribly interesting. So just with that case the Lo- the, involving Alfredo Lopez, uh, this, was a, this was a child in Texas who was undocumented. And the state of Texas and the school district had decided that they wanted to discourage undocumented students from attending school. Uh, so they set up a extra tuition hurdle. This is public school, mind you. But at the time, they, they set up a tuition where each child of an, in an undocumented family had to pay $1,000 in tuition per year to attend public school. I think, you know, for many families, that was, and this is, you know, many decades ago. So $1,000 is, is a lot more than it is today. But even so, $1,000, even $100 to attend public school where your peers don't have to pay that $100. You can see the unfairness in that. That was the case where that policy had been erected and then the Lopez's decided to fight it. And it all went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court decided that undocumented students in the eyes of the Constitution are to be treated equally as documented students. And that even though they're not citizens, schools cannot do anything to treat those students any differently than any other student. And then you fast forward to the politics of undocumented people today and immigrants today in this country. And you have, you know, even as recent as this year coming up, we have a case in the Supreme Court involving undocumented people in this country. And there's a challenge by people protesting the cancellation of DACA, which many of uh, us know is the program around deferred action for childhood arrivals. So this was an Obama-era program that allowed non-citizens who unwittingly entered the U.S. as children with their parents and who have clean criminal records and who meet various other educational or military requirements, they can apply for a two-year renewal of their what has been called deferred action, or it's like kind of a relief, a, a relief from deportation to another country. So that DACA program was terribly important to hundreds of thousands of students in this country and is now being challenged uh, 
the, the, and the Trump administration decided to remove that program a couple of years ago. And so that's being challenged now, whether that removal or cancellation of that program going forward is uh, allowable or not. And so the Supreme Court will be talking about that. Now, that's an immigration case, whereas the, the case that is in this book around with uh, Alfredo Lopez is a, a domestic equal protection case. It's about how immigrants should be treated in schools. So it's a little different from the DACA context in a way, but it still involves undocumented people and undocumented students. And, you know, if you read the Plyler case, Plyler versus Doe, which is the Alfredo Lopez case, you'd, you'd kind of be hard pressed to think about why are we even debating the cancellation of the DACA program today? Because I thought that undocumented students should be treated equally. So, you know, it's, it's just interesting as you read these cases that were from, in some cases, a few decades ago and try to draw the parallels to what's going on today it really strikes you in a different way about how we should be treating these controversies today. What are you hoping as teachers read this? What is your hope for them? First of all, I hope that the book is enjoyable, that they, they enjoy reading it. I've worked with teachers uh, around the country. Uh, I used to work at the National Education Association. And so in, this, in the civil rights department of the NEA, and we would go around and, and speak with teachers all around the country. And I know that that teachers are super busy and that it's not the first thing that comes to mind is to stop and read a a case uh, or a book about legal issues involving education. My hope is that teachers will enjoy this this kind of accessible and hopefully interesting book and that they'll they'll find it historically interesting as well. Because, you know, each of these cases is in a way kind of like a historical artifact. It captures a moment in time where there's something pretty important involving education is going on in these cases. And so I think to read them as a whole is, is almost like taking a little mini course or refresher in, in American history. As you read about cases from the Vietnam War era, or you read cases uh, even 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that are an aftermath to, let's say, the war on drugs that started occurring and gain steam in the in the eighties. So so really, I hope that first of all that that it's enjoyable to teachers, and then I also hope that it might help educators reconnect to their values around equity and fairness and justice. Uh, many of us go into professional life, and we we formerly were either activists or really cared about issues in society and what's fair and what's right. And then somehow we go into our professional lives and we kind of disconnect from that because we're, we're so consumed with what's going on right in front of us. But hopefully the, the book might allow, and it, it, it definitely allowed me to reconnect to my own sense of what's right and what should I be fighting for. And if, if anything, my dream would be that this provides uh, in some ways a call to action uh, and empowers teachers to go out there and, if anything, do what what they know is to be right, both uh, with with respect to students, but also themselves as well. What can I do in the school setting, in the school environment, to make conditions more equal, more fair for my students? Um, how to both respect their rights, but also teach them in some ways about rights and about about what's fair and. We know how important that is today for students to understand fairness and to be able to 
advocate for what's right. And those are those are skills that that teach students can be taught. And so hopefully this book would provide some tools for teachers be able to do that, to look at themselves and what they can do, but also maybe take some some information or use some of the tools that are recommended to instill in their teaching and in their curriculum. My thanks to author Robert Kim for his time today. If you'd like to learn more about his new book, Elevating Equity and Justice, 10 U.S. Supreme Court Cases Every Teacher Should Know, be sure to visit blog.heineman.com for more information, including a sample chapter. Be sure to follow Bob on Twitter at Bob double underscore Kim. Thanks for listening.